All right. What is going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Serious Angler Podcast, powered by our friends over at X2 Power Batteries. As always, I'm your host, Bailey Egbert, and joined with me is the Capitan, Mr. Andy Full. What's going on, dude? Well, you know, just another breezy day in western New York, but it's warm, so I can't complain. I feel like I feel like our guests are now so accustomed to getting their weather reports in the first 30 seconds of our show, because that's (laughs) like the 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 cliche Andy intro is, oh, just another day. And then you give a weather report in like 10 words. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) I love it. Don't say we're we're fishermen, right? (laughs) So like our first topic is always weather, like especially in the days off, it always seems to blow. So it's just like, yeah, we'll talk about the weather in Western New York because it could be snowing tomorrow. You never know. So, I mean, yeah. speaking of weather, cross your fingers, knock on wood, do whatever superstition you may have. We're talking with Josh a little bit, our guest for today, offline here, of how beautiful the weather is. Thankfully, we're not in his case where we have three feet of snow. We don't have that here. But, dude, the weather in New York is amazing this week. It's 70 degrees every day. It is minimal winds, meaning yeah. we can get out except on the, for today. the pond. Except for, yeah, except for today. Okay, minus today. Starting today until, like, Sunday, it's, like... We can get on the big pond if we want to, yeah. and it's starting to go down. It is like we call it the K, you know, well, I shouldn't say we, we tease people that call it this is that they call it the KVD season time of year where it's like everybody with a hook can catch a bass, which it's the greatest time of year is what you should be calling it. Uh, it's going down here uh, in New York, and I am excited, but I'm also experiencing some insane FOMO, Andrew, with the texts that I'm getting while I'm glued to my computer working throughout the day of people catching bass. And it's making me crazy. Yeah. Um, I even got to go out and got the Camus out and make sure everything ran right. And I made the wrong decision on the lake I went to, but it's a lake I need to learn because there's a lot of bigger tournaments that go there. So I'm going to be spending a lot of free time there, I think, this summer, just trying to figure it out. It's a mud hole. But we did catch our first small of the year on a jerk bait, so that was cool. So I'll take it as a win. Yeah, it wasn't slowly dragging a net like other years it usually starts out because it's yeah. like 38 degrees on Lake Erie. Mm-hmm. So Michael's asked me how the truck is doing. I should have it back this week. They said uh, the 8th, 9th, and 10th gear were fried in my 2020 <laughs> F-150. So they had to completely overhaul the transmission. It was great. Brutal. But they rush ordered everything to get it fixed for me under warranty. So that was nice. All right, take taking the wins with the losses. I, I did, yeah. but yeah. Either way, um, dude, one little cool update. You're talking about it briefly offline. Uh, you can't tell from this view, but if you look over Andy's shoulder, I got my smallie in. Your blue smallie. <laughs> yeah, but you can't see it from here that it's blue. Like it's it's a it's a. Unfortunately, the pictures don't do it, or phones don't do it justice. Yeah, that that fish was wild. We caught it on an A rig in a tournament. That somehow we lost with almost 25 pounds, and that was one of our big ones. That and we not had. even a great lake. We're talking an inland lake. Yeah, yeah, it was a ton of fun. We probably caught, what, 20 smallmouth that day and, like, five or six big largemouth. Mm-hmm. It's a good But day. little smallmouth came up, and we thought it was a drum. because that's Drum, walleye, one of the two. It was so yeah. white when we put it in the net. It was crazy. And it was blue, like little blue fins. Orange eyes. It's yeah. the craziest thing ever. Wildest thing. But yeah, there it is. Almost nice. 21 inches, almost 21 inches and five pounds even. Nice. Big fish. Well, uh, quick life update on my home front. Uh, I'm not going to be in this this here, this joint, this apartment for much longer in a month. 
uh, fiance and I are moving and we'll have a, a new place about 15 minutes away. And honestly, it's, it's good because it's, you know, 15, 20 minutes from you. Cause you've got a new house and, uh, I'll be able to really pimp out a studio. And if you ask Andy, I've been probably bothering the living heck out of him with my different studio ideas that I've been texting him, bombarding him with. Uh, but that is pretty cool. So you guys will see a new studio, kind of new lay of the land here in about a month or so. Uh, but something pretty cool, which is today's episode, Mr. Josh Douglas is joining us again. We're going to get him on here in a few minutes. Uh, we, uh, really fast to run through some news for you guys. Do it molds is running a pretty cool promo until the 16th. And that is 25% off crank blanks, uh, bait blasts, stencils, and 3DIs. Uh, and again, that runs through the 16th. So if you guys want to save some money. On top of the stuff that's already saving you money making your own fishing tackle, uh, be sure to check that out. And uh, as well as Omnia Fishing's running a few sales right now. I think they were doing 25% off max scent and bait fuel. I think I saw mm-hmm. yesterday. Uh, but regardless, uh, if you guys haven't used a code with us before, you can use Sirius first for 15% off. And then every time after that, you can get 10% off your order using Sirius 10. And, uh, and that's always in all the show notes. So you guys can take advantage of that and get uh, money off of your tackle orders. But uh Andy also really fast. Well, we'll talk about it more at the end, but even fishing's now here in New York, but tournament season's back too. I got my first derb here in New York. Right oh. Next up. I'm jealous. That big... yeah. I don't Let's start talking first... some real spring fishing here. With, uh, the man himself, Mr. Josh Douglas. Yeah. What's going on, man? What's up, everybody? How are we doing? Yeah. yeah. I'm trying to avoid it... this light that I got going on here. It's <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. It's like it's that sunshine. worst. It's that worst, like morning or evening glare. That's just like the worst spot possible. Yeah, you no matter. I'm, I'm trying to look around here, and no matter where I go, it's just there's going to be light coming in. So <laughs> it is the way it is. But I'm, I'm happy about it. We've been. This is actually like a a record year for the Malax area for snowfall, and um, since like 1800 something. Hmm. I think I mean that's pretty spectacular because there's there's mounds of it everywhere and it was I don't know we were in a blizzard I had to cancel a seminar I did at a Shields because of straight up blizzards and ten inches on top of what we already had like four or five feet and now in a matter of now it's like going to be eighty tomorrow it's so weird it's all going to melt at once oh it is no it's melting fast and it's just like a like molasses looks like I could dump the boat in there. But it's just all water, all the snow is floating, sitting on top of the ice. So it, it'll wreak havoc. It'll definitely, you know, bust everything up. So is it real windy too? Uh, it had been, but now it's just like, I mean, now it's like June, June weather. You know, like we're actually, like I said, we broke a record for how much snow we've gotten here, which we always get a lot of snow, but we got like, like a lot of snow. And, uh, and now we're going to break a record for how warm it gets by like a month and a half how warm it is tomorrow so perfect they just change it like year by year i mean i don't know if this is like normal but like just the ever changing like year by year like you hear everybody talk about it like oh i don't remember it ever being this cold back in 86 like you know people keep saying that cliche but like it literally changes like it's the shift is actually kind of wild big time yeah no doubt i mean you gotta think you had We've had numerous glacial ice ages that came all the way down to make Malax and then back all the way back up to the North Pole or wherever they went. So, I mean, obviously we, we've gone through some changes before 
uh, as you know, as far as Earth goes. But yeah, it does seem like I don't know. We it's just weird. We get we get some years where it's just like last year was terribly cold, like minus twenty on the regular. And then this year it was kind of cold, but it was mostly just snow, which is really kind of a pain in the ass when you're trying to get your truck and yeah. boat out of, out of Dodge and get down to Florida and do fishing and stuff like that. But Literally. champagne problems, nonetheless, whatever. I'll, yeah. I'll get the boat out of there. Yeah. Well, so if you're getting that much snow and it's 70 degrees, like you said, your lake's got to be kind of rising up pretty quick too. What's that? Are your lakes rising up pretty fast too, being that you have so much snow that's melting so fast? Well, yeah, but dude, seriously, five days ago they were still driving dualies across Malax. Oh, okay. So you, you're still—it's still it's mind-boggling, like what's going on, like like how that happened. Yeah, it just was crazy cold, lots of snow, and then and just kept going all the way into April, and then just turned into seventy-five degrees. So, whatever, we'll take it. I'll take like, it. I feel like this is the time of year especially in your guys' neck of the woods where you hear about people like falling through the ice or losing snowmobiles and stuff like that. People that try to stay out too late and take too much weight out in the ice. Yeah. They're not doing that now. Like yeah. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. Literally when you look at Malax right now, there's a sheet of ice, but you can't see it. It looks like the lake. It looks like it's wide open, but it's just all the snow just melted so fast on top, on top of the ice and doesn't have anywhere to go. It's weird. Wild. I've never seen it before. Never seen that's pretty wild. When, uh, when, because I know you guys in Minnesota have had, is that still that window in place where you guys can't specifically bass fish until like a certain day? Yeah, no, you can't. You, you can't. No, uh, when walleyes, musky, northern pike, largemouth, smallmouth all open up, like they protect the spawn kind of, but once the walleye and northern pike opens, um, bass go on catch and release. Hmm only and then like around memorial weekend or something like that bass and muskie will open up officially gotcha okay because wisconsin was like that what and they changed that what a few years back yep so when the the anglers got that done right there's all kind of came together and off the internet stuff and came together as a big group and made it happen it was kind of cool so what the heck minnesota what are you guys slacking for (laughs) It's weird like that, but whatever. I mean, it does. It happens quick, the spawn, but it doesn't actually, like, protect the spawn. I mean, it protect, I, I get it because, you know, like, the walleyes get right now when the ice starts to retreat off the bank, them walleyes, like, funnel in there. So the lake's still frozen, and you have all these walleyes just broadcast spawning everywhere. Like, I can kind of see why, I guess, why you'd need to, to do it. Um, but at the same time, it's like, the smallmouth here spawns till damn near 4th of July. So, right. You know, but but yeah. Yeah. That's that's a bummer though. You can't get on like that first ice out early spring bite. I mean, no, dang. No, that's what's, that's what we, we love here in New York is that first ice out where it's like only a few folks are really getting out that first like ice breaks that are crazy enough to do it because it's, it's a bite. It's usually so good. Uh, Yeah. Yeah, dude. Uh, hopefully, you guys can be. Uh, you guys can do what Wisconsin did, band together, and get that change for yeah. futures to come. But uh, I do, I do get it. But at the same point in time, like we have two counties here in New York. Andy and I were just talking about earlier. Yeah, today. two counties up by St. Lawrence that have that same deal. But uh, man, spring is an awesome time of year because it's fish are in abundance. They, you know, especially for us Northerners, uh, where 
they ice ice is gone and they're like holy crap we're not freezing our tails off anymore we're getting some warm water we're feeding like crazy uh and it's a great time to catch a, a fish of a lifetime but yeah uh, for for many it can be kind of confusing to follow fish throughout the the spring for for folks that go and they fish one day i want to say you take a week that is incrementally getting warmer and warmer each day and you say you get differing winds those fish can change up a lot like per you know from a day-to-day basis so that people go fish and catch them in one spot one day they go back there the next day and they're completely gone now they're clueless um so this this is kind of something we wanted to talk to you about was yeah you know for you know for you guys go through a very rapid spring it seems from where you get the opportunity to start fishing to where they're spawning and now automatically you got postpone basically for until you get fall uh so on that kind of point of view once you guys start getting uh are able to fish it's kind of the heat of the spring right yeah i mean no no because like this is this you all are way warmer than us like we're not, we don't get that warm. It, it can be, you know, opener here is usually Mother's Day weekend. So that's like May 10th ish, something like that. And I mean, it's been snowing plenty of times for that, for that window. They're, they're, and Malax is such a big lake that it takes forever for it to actually thaw out. Um, looking at like this is unprecedented now, what we get for a week. And, and really, when the wet, when the weather gets that good, but like I said, that's record breaking stuff. It should be about, 52 maybe today for a high and a low around 30 something like that so when when the we we it's still pretty pre-spawn by the time it opens up maybe some of your largemouth stuff down in the southern part of the state of minnesota but um the largemouth will start to pull up but the bass don't the smallies don't really start to even spawn here until around june 1st is when that goes down so may 10th if we're out there you know it's going to be big time pre-spawn we we just ain't going to get that right at ice out bite which is probably even better for them largemouth too you know when they get right. in those little days and they get on weeds and the rattle trap bite jerk bait bite stuff yeah. like that but but the smallies and malax malax will be i mean we got thirteen thousand lakes around me so they're they're everywhere you know a little thousand acre stuff that'll warm up but malax will take a long time to to kind of get going and stuff like that. So it's pretty pre-spawn by the time we get out there. It's, it's, you know, jerk bait, hard jerk bait stuff for sure. So the water temp will probably be like 45 to 48 degrees mother day, mother's day weekend, depending on when the ice actually gets off Malax. I'm assuming. If I had it my way, that'd be about right. That'd be <laughs> pretty perfect for me. Yeah. yeah. I've seen it colder. I've seen it warmer by the time I get out there. But again, like, like Bailey was saying <clears throat> right away, you know, little, your, your little natural lakes that we got up here, our little largemouth lakes, and, and they're big too. Don't get me wrong. We got huge, huge largemouth lakes too. Um, you know, your little bays and stuff are going to be where those fish are going to want to pull in and it's going to be your warmest water. And, and same deal with the big lakes and the smallmouth, you know, that wherever that wind's blowing is going to blow that warm warm surface temp into a corner somewhere push all those fish there and they're going to be there as long as the wind stays there you know it can be 50 degree water then you're catching the crap out of them and then the wind changes direction and two hours later you you go in there and you can't get a bite and it's 42 degree water you know something like that so they they move like bailey hit it right on the head you know your large small stuff they're going to probably get up in them 
real shallow bays and the bluegill and everything are going to get in there together. And they're kind of in there. Once they get in there, they're kind of in there. But the but them smallies are going to be moving around a lot, like, you know, a, a lot in different areas of the lake. You know, what it can be as small as one part of the reef can get really heated up because the wind's blowing into that part of the reef and, and that's where it's going. And then it switches directions. Now they're on the complete other side to, you know, it's a east wind. It's blowing out of the east every day. So the west side is just going gang gangbusters. And then the whole wind shifts and blows the other direction. And then that side is going to pick up. So, um, but yeah, they move around a lot. No doubt about it. So when you, you know, you're able to finally get out there, you know, especially speaking, you know, home turf for you in Minnesota, um, those fish have had a decent amount of time to get up and do what you're talking about, get up and move around, especially those brown fish. Um, and so like when you're finally able to get out, they've had a chance to kind of maybe move out of their wintering hole for, for at least, at least a step or two. For sure. Uh, they'll be, they'll be, they will be on the edge. They'll be ready to rock and roll, but right. pretty strong, but they, we won't catch them winter. Definitely right. not. Yeah. And, and so speaking of that, like, like for us, we're able to get out, you know, as soon as ice is out, once you're able to get a boat in. And so for, I mean, personally, in my opinion, it's well, how my brain works, at least once I can, when I know they're winning holes, it's a lot easier for me to find them early ice out in their wintering hole and then be able to follow them up to spawn. But like for you, where it's like they're past that wintering hole, where do you decide to start when it comes to finding them for the first day out in the spring? Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna go to where they're gonna want to spawn and go out from there. I mean, they're they're, they're just they're not gonna be far from where they want to spawn. I, I you know I, I talk about it a lot in some seminars and stuff that I'm doing right now. Vertical stuff. I'm gonna look for that contours that real vertical. Um, you know the uh, the the stuff. There there will still be like bays, small bays and stuff for those smallmouth. The early ones will spawn first to where you got your late June ones out on the main reef in the middle of the lake somewhere spawning on a rock, you know, out and God only knows where. So I, I you know, it just kind of depends with what the lake's going to give me, but maybe I poke into the backs of some bays and poke around a little bit and see what's going on back there. And then, um, you know, just kind of keep sliding out away from those areas where the vertical stuff, you know, they don't want to, they, they, this time of year you, you can have, like what we have 65 degrees one day and then it's a high of 38 degrees the next day. And so those fish don't want to travel two miles to, or a mile or whatever it is to get into back into a little deeper, stable or water. They're just going to want to drop down vertically and just go down into that colder, little deeper water. That's now more moderate. And then the sun comes back up and they can just kind of come back up on top where they're in a foot or two and using that sun like you and I would be, you know? Right. Yeah, that's. I think that's one of the coolest things uh, from a, a angler mindset perspective that we've talked to a bunch of different guys like this where it's we've asked that question of when you go to break down, whether it's a new body water or you haven't been on it because there's been ice on the damn thing for dang near six months, you know, where do you decide to start? Like, what's your process of breaking it down? And a lot of guys will say, oh, we start way in the back or like from your case, we'll start where they're going to spawn and move you know, our way back till we find them where guys will be like, Keith Carson mentioned spawning largemouth. He's going to go way in the back of creeks or cuts, work his yep. way back out till he finds it. Then there's some guys that are like, I'm going to start their wintering holes and I'm going to work up. And it's kind of interesting to see how different people work with that. Uh, 
but I, I'm, I'm interested if you start where these small ones are going to spawn right away uh, and say t- most times they're probably not spawning just yet, but they might be getting up there. You, you probably run into, I'm curious if you do, you run into some waves where it's just the big females have moved up first. Is that ever, yeah. is it kind yeah. of? Like- Honestly, I think for, for the, are we talking smallmouth? Yeah. yeah. Talking more okay. smallmouth. So, honestly, I think the males will get up, up there first and start getting territorial a little bit. They'll, they'll kind of push up on the actual spawning grounds early. And the females kind of are going to hang off on that break. So, if, if you know, I mean, a smallmouth can spawn at 20 feet. But if, if they're, depending on the water clarity and everything's going on, let's just say five foot or less is what that first wave is going to go to, then I would look in that 12 to 6 range for them females you know um to be there that's that's where i would naturally look and and the bed you know i'm not i think that's all what the angler wants to do right like are you i'm naturally i don't really want to look at them all that much i'd rather catch them pre-spawn post-spawn or as close to offshore as i can for that time of year so i think you know he's nasty at looking at them on the bed. So I'm guessing he's going to start in the back, look for them and go backwards the other way to them. Um, but it's just, it's just that up here. We, we missed that wintering window. It's a matter of fact, I know where they winter just because we can stay on them longer. Cause it takes forever for the big lake, like Malax to freeze. Mm-hmm. So I can stay on them in mid November and stuff like that. So I know where they want to go to winter but I've never got the chance to actually fish for them when they're coming off of that, you know, where they're probably sitting right now. And in a couple of weeks when the ice opens, you know, where, where are they going to go? But I still naturally believe they're going to want to get shallow quick just because it is super clear water and that sun's going to feel really good on them. And and they got good eyes. So they're going to want to eat and they're going to want to get up in areas where they can eat and you're going to have, walleye spawning perch spawning everything else crawdads starting to wake up and do their deal and hatch so naturally that's probably where they're going to get yeah that's that's a really good point of like there you some hear some guys talk about you know those days like you mentioned that are really sunny warmer days like a day like today that's hot and sunny uh or you might go out and fish and you, for some reason you just see the big one like big ones are up and they're cruising they're enjoying a little bit of heat and you go back in two days and it's like overcast and a little bit windier, maybe in the fifties. You're like, I don't know. They were here two days ago. Well, it's just because those fish moved up for a little bit because it's probably more something that you, you see when it has like deep water access, if that makes sense. Right. For that, sure. More when you see it. That's exactly what I'm getting at is I want that deep water access. That's where I'm going to, I'm going to be looking for them to be pre-spawn. Uh, it's going to be very close to where they winter. Um, but at the same time, you know, I, I, I don't necessarily want to go for, for the ones that are the dead obvious spawners to pull up there. Those are the same fish that do that every single year. Um, and I'm pretty convinced you're catching males when you're doing that. You know, I want to stay off on that deep water access, that hard contour, those straight drops. You know, you got bigger rocks around there and you just you're going to get bigger schools of fish that are going to get in there. And anytime you get big schools of smallmouth, you're going to, you know, <laughs> you're going to run into big. Uh, big girls that are in there biting for sure right it's a i'm curious from your standpoint you know spending so much time on malax to kind of hit on what you're getting at earlier of like if big ones move up earlier is 
we've we've I've experienced it a little bit, but also talking to some folks in the show, like especially more talking largemouth, is this this idea that you know bigger fish will spawn earlier because you know bigger fish need uh, they can spawn in colder temps if that like if that for sure. Sense. Do you because you see that with largemouth? I, I found it where it's like it, there's not a lot of them. There's like maybe one here and there, and it's your bigger caliber fish that are on bed first, and then they're gone. They're there for maybe a day. Have you found anything like that smallmouth-wise that they behave kind of similar? Yeah, for sure. I mean, just your bigger bigger fish are older fish, so they, I think they just have a little bit better knack on what's going on. Let's get this over with. (laughs) Yeah, right here and right now. it, again, for me, it's just I think that the females are generally bigger, even though we, you know, the nice thing about small moths is you can have a five pound male, no, no problem um, that they're out there. But the the females are generally bigger. And I just don't think many people catch females on the beds. I just don't. I think it's the male that they're catching on the bed. If you catch, if, you know, because the male takes care of the nest, does everything. So it's not like a female rolls up there, makes the nest. Anytime I see the females, I either see them cruising these shallows in packs, you know, where you're like looking at a bunch of good fish. I mean, tournament winning four and a half pound males on beds. But then you see a, a group of, of, you know, a pack of females that pull in there and they're really tough to catch. You, you maybe peg them off with a hair jig or something like that. But when they get on the bed, I don't know if in my life if I've ever caught the, the, the female or really even the male when they're both on, when both feet, when both smallmouth are actually on the nest. I, I've yeah. never, I've never caught her before in my whole life. That's pretty uh, wild. I've never, I mean, males, I mean, I mean, largemouth for sure. For right. sure. Um, you know, I, I try to separate the female and get her, but it just, again, it could be the lakes around here, something like that, but the female just doesn't hang. She pulls up, she does her thing and, I can pull up there, look at them, be like, oh, look at that one. Pitch at her a couple times. They're going to roll around. She's either going to spook and leave. And, you know, he might come back and, and eat, but she won't. I got to catch her coming or going. She's either got to be moving up to test the water to, to look at beds, and maybe I can peg her off with a hair jig or something like that, or I got to catch her coming off of the bed, and now she's ready to eat because she did her – she did her job. I'm pretty convinced when people are rolling around. Catch, I mean, in tournaments, I've qualified for a cup running around catching males off of beds and weighing them to know exactly what I was. I knew exactly to a T what my weight was going to be. <laughs> both day. It was perfect. I told Bree 16 pounds day one, 15 pounds day two, and I had 16 one and 15 one. You know, it's like <laughs> yeah. I know it to a T. And that's just because that, that, that's just the male. But yeah, I here and in most of my my experience you you ain't catching the female on a bed that's just not not a female smallmouth maybe again there's an exception to the rule you catch them maybe right at the right time when they first get up there or annoy them enough to where they're going to bite or something but it just i don't know it's just something that i i've caught a lot of, i've seen a lot of smallmouth i've guided people to great days on the water i've i've just not seen it where you can catch the female so Andy, I'm curious, uh, like with your experience on Erie or Ontario, have you, have you seen the same thing? So on Erie, like I will say that when they get paired up on beds, it is incredibly tough to catch them. Just small mouth, it seems, but I mean, 
like looking back, maybe one or two females when they're paired up, maybe. I don't bed fish all too often. I try to leave them alone. So I usually go out and look for pre-spawners or post-spawners. But that day we went out, Bailey, with your dad, and we fished spawners, like, was that, yeah. four years ago now? So all think, males. Yeah, they were all males. Hundred, Just single garters on bed. Like, Right. I don't know. Maybe maybe one last year that might have been a female. It was like a 21, 21 half inch fish, still thick. And there was no male in sight, but it wasn't even beat up. It was just close to a bed. Yeah. Now the more and more I'm th- to thinking about it as you and Josh have been talking, I'm trying to like run through my memories to think, yeah. I, have I ever seen any like two on bed before? Like I'm kind of run- trying to run through that. I'm going to go run through my smallmouth angler Rolodex here after this and ask him, Start testing people, see if they've ever seen it. Because oh. the more you talk about, it, the more I'm like, I don't think I've ever seen two on a bed before. Like, I might have, but like they're like you've said, they're they're actually hard to catch. Like people think we we joke about it and say our smallmouth are super stupid and like it's like super easy to catch off bed. But when people talk about that, Josh, to your point, those are all yeah. males that are really dumb that you can well, catch just four times they're over. Not, they're not. And they're, they need they're just hyper aggressive. They're protecting their the eggs. Yeah, like you see here where. You know, they just don't eat when they're spawning. They don't they don't physically eat for food. So you'll right. you'll like it ain't nothing to pull up and look at one on a bed and just see like five or six crushed. We we have so you see them real easy here and they're big. We have um rusty crawdads. So they're Those bright. Are the ones that are like, oh, they're like right. many little lobsters. Yeah, they're invasive as hell. That's why Malax blew up. You know, they actually I don't know if they eat or kill the regular native crawdad. Um, but they're a problem for the native crawdad, but they're, they have bright white bellies, they're orange and they have some pink in them and they like, so they, you can just see them real easy and you'll see all around a small moss bed, like five or six of them that were just crumpled and then spit out. Like they don't eat them. It just crawled, got too close to the nest and the male just went over there and crunched them and spit them, but never even ate them. And, and it's just yeah, it's, for later. It just seems like the females come up in packs. Uh, they come up in a group when everything's right. And if they're, I mean, maybe, like I said, maybe if you get her in the first couple minutes when she first gets there, but it's not like a, or maybe when she's going. Or, or even I, you know, even let's just say this: it, it doesn't seem like the male and female want to be there until they're doing this business, okay? Right. And when they're doing all that stuff, even largemouth, I think I can count one or two times when I've gotten one of them to bite when they were actually rolling. Mm-hmm. And now, what I know, what I know is, I think it was just pure reaction, like just all of a sudden a bait you know just happened to, it fell and they just didn't expect it they don't have hands they have a mouth and they just happen to make nose. a bait disappear and i hit them otherwise you just you just don't get them man you just i don't know maybe john cox can but i can't you know <laughs> when they're doing that when they're when they're actually rolling i just i just leave them alone and and but then with largies it's like the female hangs around you know like once she commits to a bed she kind of runs the show there for that for two or three days and that's the thing with the small mouse like no i mean she just kind of comes in does her thing the male still kind of runs the show and that's it and she she lays the eggs he gets her to lay you're not going to catch them and then she takes off and he protects the eggs 
you know, like bass are so like survival of the fittest mode, right? Like, and they acclimate to the environment. I'd be curious to like a muddy water smallmouth as opposed to a clear water smallmouth, how the female reacts during the spawn. That's a good because, point. Because I wonder if the clear water, like the big females, you know, they're the prime fish that we want to be laying the eggs for good genetics in the future. And they just know they got to dump them and go and let the male do their thing so they don't get hurt because there's so many people fishing for them today, maybe in like slightly more tannic or stained water they might actually hang around a little bit longer and i'm thinking of maybe like a lake like lake oneida here in new york where it has like that tea colored water i wonder if the male and the female would hang out just slightly longer together in that more camouflage type of watercolor well i don't nida i mean shoot they go and they they're wintering holes the rock pile and they spawn <laughs> on the rock pile and then they stay on the rock pile all those summer. Yeah. That's, go what anywhere. That's, that's what I'm saying. A smallmouth, yeah. smallmouths are weird. You have key areas of every lake that smallmouth and largemouth, when they go in there to spawn, they're probably genetically programmed to go to that same damn area. And you can tell because their face is half caved in from yeah. all the Tom, Dick, and Harry's that rolled in there that could yeah. tap and see him because that fish just happens to spawn in a foot, you know? Yeah. Like, yeah. Why are you spawning off of the boat ramp dock? Like, yeah. why Not very smart fish. No, but he's going to do that all the time. But, like, at the same time, you know, smallmouth, they can, they can I mean, that's that's kind of one of my my things that I excel at is, I, you know, I can find them bedding in 15, 16, 17 feet. You know, and and uh, if it's clear enough, I can. It's just you put a, a couple wrong dead zebra mussels in the wrong spot, and I'm going to say eh, that doesn't look right. Yeah. And you know, usually you need a flogger to actually see the fish, but yeah, they they can they can those fish can go winter pre spawn, spawn post spawn, and through the rest of the year and never leave one rock pile if they don't if they don't want to on some of these lakes. And I'm sure largemouth have the same. You know, I'm sure you can get out and six, seven, eight feet in the middle of the milfoil somewhere. And you just don't know that they're spawning there, you know, that, that they can do it. And those, right. Those fish are going to have the, you know, the chops to make it a long time because you just don't know that they're there. But, but I do know that small moths go back to that same bed all the time. I have a couple that I know by name, they pull up <laughs> on a certain rock at a certain time of year. They're always there. You know, they have things about that fish that I know that that's the same fish. One of them's tagged, so I literally know it's the same fish. He's got a double tag. He's got two tags in his back, and he doesn't show up till late. He doesn't show up till, like, middle of June, but he's out in the middle of the lake on a spot, and he's big. He's like a five-pounder. He bails me out of guide trips many you know, a couple times a year. You guys probably. have a relationship. <laughs> well, I mean, just like you, you start getting towards that end of June time frame, and things can get kind of goofy. You know, yeah. they're like they're spawning, but they're off. They're like some the all the spawning stuff is done. Like the reeds are growing up and stuff, and so you just get that little deal where every now and then, I mean, catching fish, throwing a hair jig, you know, with the fly hatches and the top water and stuff, you can catch them, but. Sometimes you just don't have a five pounder, and he just happens to be a five pounder. And I know where he's at. <laughs> so I need him, you know. <laughs> I'm I'm pretty good. And then the lake, the lake's a big lake, so it protects itself. I can only get to it certain times, but I think at worst I've maybe 
caught him twice in one season. So I'm pretty good, dude. I'm I'm pretty good. Like if if somebody's like my PB is four pounds and it's two o'clock in the afternoon and it's around June fifteenth to June twentieth, I, I know a spot I can get the guy. Five Let's go visit my pet Doug. <laughs> yeah, don't worry, we got Dougie. <laughs> I got. I, I, I probably got a dozen or so of those actually. So they're, they're, he gets a good the VIP treatment. <laughs> it's a good thing they live to be like 20, 25 years yeah. old, you know? It's amazing. That's funny. <laughs> They'll get me through tough times. They'll get me through a recession. You know I mean? yeah. <laughs> oh, Everybody needs a Dougie, man. Everybody needs <laughs> I mean, it's funny you say that, though. Like, I, I've experienced that. There was a, a small mouth that had, like, a unique scar on its gill plate. Oh, yeah. I remember two years in a row seeing it on the same specific bed. Oh, yeah. For sure. It's, it's pretty cool how that actually happens, though. Um. But then again, real quick, I mean, for catch and release, it works. You know, that fish spawns, the the lake's phenomenal. That fish comes back year after year after year. I mean, it's just, you know, it's a good thing. Yeah, I was going to say, if you're putting a live well, he needs like a club level membership or something, like get a special live well ride or something year after year if he's booking you at a – or saving you out of guide trips if you're put putting him in the live well. Put him in the spa. He's got his name on one of the live wells. It's just Doug's, <laughs> Doug's live well. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't want to see my – he knows my face in a flogger because he's a deep one. He knows damn well who I am. He's like, hey, Josh is back. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he knows me. It's spa day, guys. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, here we go. My buddy's here. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's yeah, awesome. Josh must be having a bad day showing up for the second time this yeah, week. Yeah, <laughs> two days, two, day, two times in one week. Shit. Yep. You just get a live well full of crawdads ready for him. You're like, if I catch you, I'll give you all crawdads you want. Don't you worry. <laughs> that's awesome. It's funny. Do we have a, a comment here from Mr. Higgs asking, uh, what's the water temp range for smallmouth to spawn? Yeah, that's a tricky one. I mean, you know, anything over 60, you're going to start getting into that range, especially if it's blown, if the wind's blown in that direction. But don't be surprised in them low temperatures for them to pull up, get there, and then be gone the next day or a couple days or be there for a couple days. Uh, Whether they actually get their spawn on or not, you know, they're going to test that water. But that 60 60 to 65 range is going to be good anytime you're 60 to seven, 65 to 70. I mean, you're, you're on a full on spawn, you know, small mouth or a large mouth, they're going. And then, I mean, the only really time that I see it, that you really need to focus on more than that would be like Florida strain, large mouth and stuff. They seem to more want that seven, you know, a true 70, something like that to go. So, you know, any, anytime you get, if, if it's, and they will spawn in the 50s. Again, it just depends on how committed they were to it. Or, you know, there, there's – this is off topic for this area, but like the Tennessee River, if the water gets a certain level, they're going to go. So I think smallmouth here even have nuances, something, you know, whether it's a moon phase or it's a whatever. But any time that that water temp – starts touching in them 60s and staying in them 60s especially if you launch and it's 60 they're spawning they're the males will be there the males are going to be there for sure are you more of a temp guy or a moon phase guy when it comes to getting ready for them to spawn temp 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 i mean moon phases will definitely push them but it just that all kind of depends on 
I'm more when the situation's right. If the water temperature's right, they've had a warming trend. The overnight, I'm more about the overnight temps. I want to see them overnight feel temps, like what it feels like to me when I get up and go. And then it's certain things throughout the country will tip you off, certain flowers. You know, I don't know what they're called, but I know when I see them that they're <laughs> spawning or when the geese are fighting on every island that you're at. Yeah. You know, yeah. Like six, six different packs of geese just <laughs> pissed at each other. You know, it's like, yeah, there, there's fish spawning or when the ducks are mating and stuff. There's just, you know, that those, that the smallies are, or the large, both are getting ready to spawn for sure. Yeah, that's a good point. I water, like, sorry, I think water temp is is the probably the most important, but the moon phase will definitely push them. You know, we'll, yeah. a big wave. So right. I I just want to tell you about like the craziest spawn catch I've had. It was uh, after a warming trend, and we got a wicked cold front. So it was like twenty two degrees. It was a catch and release tournament. We were fishing at one of the Finger Lakes. Water temp in the morning when we launched was forty seven on the surface and I found a male on a bed that was a three and a half pounder and I was able to catch it like first thing in the morning in a snowstorm. That's awesome. <laughs> like, it was the only one, but I was like, you stupid fish. Yeah. Like, you're going to get caught a hundred times this year. <laughs> yeah. He just, yes. Yes. He knows what a perfect net head is. I promise yeah. you. He definitely so, knows that. Yeah. It was funny how it set up. It's a steep vertical break but it comes up to a flat against a concrete wall and he was literally sitting yeah. right next to the I'm like, you're a dumbass. <laughs> but you know what I'm learning though is I actually learned something this year with this crazy spring. So generally I'm gone fishing a lot this year with the way the elites went this year. It's kind of nice. You know, it's back-to-back tournaments and then you have like a month off and then back-to-back tournaments, you have like a month off. So I'm actually home a little bit for this time of year. And when you have a concrete wall like that, anything touching a concrete tan house, anything right now has, has got like the snow has melted and receded away from that so far like this. And it made me think just looking at it like, oh, I bet you the water's, you know, I mean, obviously I three, knew that four to degrees a warmer, substantial yeah. degree. It like took three feet of snow and made it nothing. Yet the middle of the yard still got stuff. So it kind of made me think like, okay. Maybe that's something for the spawn that I need to look at. I mean, I've always looked at, obviously looked at retaining walls and stuff, but it makes sense. Maybe more so early mm-hmm. spawners, you know, spots where they're going to get to right away. Like you said, when it's still cold and stuff like that, they're they're going to go. So I think right. they know. They know. Because sometimes if you if you hunt at all, I don't know if either one of you hunt, but, mm-hmm. you know, if you're hunting and stuff like that, like, you know, we just had one two years ago where it was damn almost 65 degrees here which is really 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 warm for deer hunting season and they were full on rut like they still knew that it was time regardless mm-hmm. what the weather was actually doing so but i'm sure i'm sure with fish you need a certain level of water degree, you know temperature for incubation purposes and stuff like that so right yeah before I, before we go down i can't tell you how many deer similarity to bass conversations we've had on this on this podcast uh i I love love talking about like especially chasing large caliber bass how it it literally is the exact same thing after as chasing trophy bucks it's 
same correlation. But what I wanted to quickly hit on too is something I've noticed in New York is especially on the spring and I'm still yet to put the pieces together in regards to cadence, like timeline is we have gall and some of our lakes, we have gar and carp that just go absolutely nuts mm. from a spawning standpoint at a specific temperature range. And it's like the bass will move up first, start spawning largemouth wise spawning, get kicked out from the carp and the gar. And you think they're done. You're like, Oh, that place is, is toast. But then like a week later, those carp and gar moved out. And the bass are back and spawning again, but it's only like a specific temperature range. I just have yet to that. correlate that yet. It's 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 super weird. And Andy, have you noticed that here yet? No, unfortunately, I I seem to always miss the spawn bite on like the inland lakes because I'm just too busy on Erie having fun with those fish. Yeah, <laughs> but I mean, I have noticed some like a lot of times like pre-spawners will get up underneath those carp. Like mm-hmm. big bass will get up underneath those carp and feed when those carp are up there rolling around in the mud. Like I have caught them do like big bass and carp, just throwing a jig or something in there with them that you can't snake a carp with accidentally. So, yeah, it is pr- pretty wild though how those carp could literally clear out an area. Oh, yeah. oh they will, they will. <laughs> they can get they get behind the lily pads, but in front of the reeds. And just blow and just blow yeah, it up. You're just like, straight mud. What the <laughs> hell is going on in there? Yeah. You'll it hear it from like across the lake too. Like it's loud. Yeah. As oh, a yeah. general rule, it seems to be like towards the tail end of the largemouth spawn is when the carp seem to move in. But there's still plenty of spawning going on. But there's no doubt they're dirtying up the water, you know, all that kind of, you you don't see that on Malax here, but we see big muskies start to roll around and do stuff like that. Like they're weird. Muskies are weird. We actually caught one last year on a guide trip. A guy th- was throwing a jerk bait and I, I still don't know. I mean, he, it, it was in the mouth, but it was in a weird spot. It was like the back of the jerk bait was like in the very corner of the back of the, of the, um, female's mouth. And then like but going back across its neck is where it's, the jerk bait was. So it's kind of a weird spot for that to be but he he it was the back hook was in the mouth and and still it doesn't matter he was just fishing this break line exactly like what i was discussing earlier and he hooked into one i'm thinking it's a big small and all of a sudden you realize oh my god you got like a, you know it, it wasn't the biggest musk in the world it wasn't small so it's in that 47 48 inch it's caliber there's a big one yeah but there's like 54s out on malax you know there's there's some big ones, but what, what was cool is he fought the female and being the female and how we know is, is we landed that female and we lifted it out and we, he wanted to pitch her and the season wasn't quite open yet, but you know, I had to get it in and get the bait out safely. So I'm like, we got time for a quick pick. And when we did it, you look down and the male sat there like a damn missile on the side of the boat and just sat there and waited for her. And then we dumped her back in and she left and then he followed up. I've never in my weird. I mean, I'm not a big musky aficionado or by any stretch of imagination. Matter of fact, I will pull a bait away from him as fast as I can and <laughs> lift the trolling motor and I'm freaking out of there, dude. I don't want to <laughs> do with them, but they, uh, it, it was really kind of cool. He was like, let's go. You know, like we just waited it out, and it was pretty awesome, dude. That's like dolphin, like it was smart. Like, it was it was different. Yeah, it was different. It was that's different. pretty wild. Yeah, oh yeah, it was. It was really cool. He, you he took my mate. 
Yeah. <laughs> Can I have my girlfriend back? <laughs> yeah. I kind of patiently kind of waited there and just like, it's like he was looking right at us. Like he could see the whole process of what was going on. And it was really an easy spot. Like the dude shouldn't have landed that fish, but he just, you know, it was a good small mall thing. We don't catch many of them. As a matter of fact, I never even ever throw at them ever. Right. It's weird because it, but they spawn here. The muskies are on spots that you will never, ever, 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 ever see a muskie again. Like I've never, you know, I go to a place like St. Clair and I can't fish a full day without losing a smallmouth to a muskie. It's like they're just all in that same stuff. The perch are there, the smallmouth are there, the walleyes are there, and so are the dan. Well, the wall, who knows where a walleye is, but they're around there. <laughs> yeah. And the muskies, like the muskie will be there too. Like he's, you know, He's the top dog of that little food chain of that strip or whatever. Like that's him. And if you get it, you know, you just catch him or Lake Minnetonka, another big famous largemouth lake around here. You catch a northern like yay big and you're going to lose him to a muskie reeling him in. But in all of my life, I'm a lax. I've never lost a fish to a muskie. But we got giants, but it just doesn't seem like they want anything to do. It's we have Malax is a big circle. And there's reeds and there's weeds along the edges. And then the middle is just glacial rock. And it doesn't seem like the muskies want anything to do with the middle. You know what I mean? Like, it seems like they Lucky catch smallmouth. Yeah, yeah. Which I don't think a muskie gets a smallmouth. Like, like smallmouths have wicked eyes. I've learned that having an active target. I knew they had good eyes, but I didn't realize they had eyes like, like I've learned the last year of my life. Like they have psycho eyes and they, I mean, they can see a little three inch Cinco in 18 feet of water and they come right up, you know, an actor, they come right up and look at it and follow it all the way down, but from the bottom, but it's like, dude, you were in 18 feet. I was looking at you in 18 feet and that Cinco wasn't a foot under the surface and you, they already know it's there. That's, they got good eyes. Yeah, it is pretty wild. It's that's one cool thing we talked about it a bunch is like with forward facing how much it can teach you how much these fish can actually see. Mm. You see like oh it's only twelve foot of viz there's no way they can see this bait and it's twenty foot of water. To, you throw a translucent bait hits the water and they're already rising up to it and you're like it doesn't make any sense to me. It's but, crazy. But uh, go, going back to your point of like when the males are up on bed or at least starting to make beds and the females are pushed off kind of on that vertical stuff. Uh, what like when you're moving and grooving, what's one bait you're throwing? And then if you have to slow down, what's one bait you're throwing to try to? You're talking pre-spawn, the vertical stuff, like the yeah, jerk bait for sure. I mean, it just depends on that water temp. A jerk bait is going to be solid if it's if it's still pre-spawn enough. Here, like what we do is is you know the winter kind of kills everything, and as it starts to warm, we'll start to get that slime on the rocks. So if you're, if you, I don't know if you guys get that where you're at, I'm guessing you probably do, but you start getting that slime or you can't throw a jig, you can't throw a Ned rig, you can't throw anything in the bottom without it coming back, whatever. So you got to keep stuff just off. So I kind of play everything by that mold's not the right word, algae, by that algae growth that's on the bottom. Yeah. So a jerk bait is going to be solid swimmer you know but just small everything small the hatch is really small the crawdads you know a smallmouth doesn't want to have to eat a, a full-size crawdad if it can peg off its children easier 
you know, and, and such stuff. a sadistic fish. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it just wants to it's same as a, a lion to a you know a baby yeah. zebra or something. Yeah. Rather eat baby Easy prey. That. Yeah. So uh, I mean, but if the water temp is really cold, hair will work. You know, generally I like to throw the marabou hair and stuff like that around the fly hatches and the crawdad hatches. Those are you know, generally I'm always throwing black that mimics any kind of bug that I got hatching and then greens and browns for sure. Green when the, when the, and, and you'll know because you'll throw black and you'll get your normal bites, but you'll throw green and you will annihilate the person that's sitting next to you. But that only happens 20% of the time. You know what I mean? Like it's, and you can tell that there's a crawdad hatch going on, but there's something about cold water temps and hair or metal. The old school baits kind of shine. So if it's really cold, maybe some maybe some hair, a jerk, a, definitely a jerk bait, and rarely will they have it in their mouth. It seems like they're really really mad at the jerk bait that time of year, and they just more strike at it, swipe at it, and you end up catching them in their back or their belly or whatever, just because they're it, they're just ornery and they're hitting stuff. Um, if if I can get away with throwing like a like a hard head, um, a hard head or a football jig something like that right away looking for like a big fish to to want to bite it and 365 days a year if you can make a cast for a smallmouth they will eat a tube and they will eat a ned rig so those are always baits i'm going to have there but honestly pre-spawn if i have it my way i'm really not going to put the jerk bait down it seems like it gets the biggest bites um right away before they commit to the reef before they commit to the top of the reefs that jerk bait will pull off it'll catch you a lot all day long and that's the thing anyone who's listening i i get it all the time in my seminars anything when people are talking my god clients everybody it seems like a jerk bait is like a jig is for largemouth fishing like i get it i threw a spinner bait first then i threw a frog then i figured out a cinco and then i needed to flip figure out that whole flipping business with the jig right once you figure it out you're dialed that's that's your deal and um that's definitely one of them but it seems like a jerk bait is definitely another bait that people just you either have confidence or you haven't and people can be really good fishermen fishing a lot and not have confidence in the jerk bait because they just haven't found the bite if you go to a small mall factory when it's pre-spawn you will find confidence in a jerk bait if you just if you just throw it in a quick hurry. Yeah, that's a fad, and I think Andy can relate to that pretty hard. Yeah, I hate jerk bait fishing unless it's like pre-spawn on inland lakes. And yeah, I know there's smallmouth around because they will show themselves almost immediately. But if they're not there, you are not getting bit. So, no, <laughs> no. It means it's there. So one thing, especially, you know, in watching the, the various YouTube channels of guys on the elites or MLF is more guys are willing to show or they're just more starting to throw more glide baits. Yeah. You're seeing more guys either show it or, like I said, just the fact that maybe they're just starting to throw it more. Have you experimented with that at all? With Yeah. That? No, I've, I mean, I've been a I, I'm not a glide bait fisherman, but I collect them and I buy them. And I do have the stuff to throw them. And and Carl Jockamson is one of one of my bestest of friends, dude. And he is one of the best with the glider in his hand. But it wasn't until Gunner or Chickamauga last year that somebody proved to me that you can win bass tournaments on it. 
You know what I mean? Like, right. so I've always been a little bit like it was something that I did in between tournaments on the road. We have a week off and I'm around areas where they eat big fish. Like, I don't want to go throw a Carolina rig or a drop shot to get fast <laughs> today. I'm going to throw a glide bait. But I'm going to talk about forward sonar again. And the um, what you learned with a forward sonar, I can tell you that 80% of everything I knew about Lake Mille Lacs or thought I knew with all of my up until about a year, year and a half ago was wrong. I was wrong. I was close. <laughs> And in some cases, way off. Everything that I thought I knew, all the man hours I put into it, all the thousands of dollars of boat gas that I put out, I was wrong. And the forward sonar just kind of taught me a lot. The glide bait has a ton of draw power. And I don't care if you're in Florida or you're in Minnesota and you throw that thing around a dominant fish, it will get their attention. Now, I'm still too green to like what to do with them when i see them like i was always taught by the glide bait guys that i know you know to kind of throw it and to watch it keep it up in the water column and plus i'm throwing a 200 rate right you, you i don't want to get it where i can't get it back so like i want eyes on you <laughs> yeah like, it's fish like come up behind it and you're just like swimming it and you catch one and it's like, freaking awesome but with the forward sonar with that target dude it's like you can throw it and watch it for I me mean, it shows up awesome and you can watch this thing. Like I said, I don't care if you're in Florida or if you're in Michigan, dude. They will pull. It will pull the biggest. But what happens for me and what I got to get over is I get stupid with the bait. I don't know what to do when he's when I feel like that bass is getting too close to the boat and he hasn't committed to it. Then I like get dumb with it. And then he turns <laughs> around, sw swims away, and I'm like, oh, okay. But with the drop power of a glide bait i just think that there's been enough tournaments and i can even think because i was a big paddle tail guy like a big one like a 316 you know big paddle tail guy in a lot of big tournaments that i've had third on kentucky lake ninth on chickamauga like four like just some of my bigger douglas lake third to get into the elites I get so confident with the spot that I'd look for a, something else to throw and I'd get like a big bite at some point throwing that. So a glide bait, I think ha actually has more draw power to those bigger, bigger bass. If you're confident enough to throw it and confident enough that you're going to land them all. Yeah. I think that's one thing that turns some people off to throwing it is the hookup. Well, yeah. You can hook them, it's getting them into the boat itself because yeah. it's not one where you hear guys talk about it. You know, Milliken talks about it a bunch on his channel. He's a big bait guy where yeah. it's like you don't see any figure eight and horsing them, like letting them play them out. It's a wrench and just swing and hope for the best, or unless you got a net, which in your guys' case, you obviously can't use a net. So it's wrench, swing, and hope. Like you'd hope that, you know, they don't come off type of deal. But to your point, like, we, we talked about it a few times on this show that a glide bait one, like in regards to you getting fish to show themselves, it is an amazing practice bait for one, but two, oh, yeah. there's guys that are like you said with Carl and chick last year, you've seen it happen a few, uh, whether it's opens or uh, elites or even some MLF now with, I saw Murray a little bit um, was like guys being able to 
use it in a tournament uh, situation. And it's it's kind of like you're seeing it a lot more now. It's kind of crazy seeing that trend hit the professional trails. It's like it's like the drop shot way back in the day, right? Like you or a Carolina rig or something. You just always have to have one ready in your boat, ready to go, mm-hmm. whether you want to or not. You just always have to have a drop shot in yeah. your boat. Got to always have a Carolina rig, dude. It's a fish catching rig. It just catches fish, right? But nothing else will. And the, the glide bait is is it's there for me. Like this was the year after last year, seeing how it played. Like I expected some people to catch some fish on it on Chickamauga. I expected some people to catch it on Fork. But like it was one of those deals where you're dealing with a super pressured fishery like Chickamauga. It used to be for me like, oh, I don't know if I want to throw that because to make the premium cast that I need to make with that glide bait to get the bite, I have to sacrifice flipping a jig into that laydown to get that bite. Or on that dock, I have to, you have to pick one, like right? Like we always want to like, oh, I'm going to go through a rotation, but that's not real when you're just moving down the bait. If you have a spot that you're sitting on, then yeah, you can go through a rotation. But if you're just moving bank looking for fish you mean you got to pick when the premium cast comes you got to pick what the bait is that you're going to throw and my my for me personally and i think for a lot of anglers was yeah it kind of throws you off because you're like i'd much rather flip a jig in there i feel like i'm going to get that bite but i don't think on chickamauga you're getting the bite on the jig i think a lot of people flip a jig in those laydowns, like if you just sit back and eat a sandwich, I bet you three people throw a jig in that laydown in that amount of time. So throwing something, not it's not different anymore. But yeah, throwing something that they want to eat is going to what they naturally are there to eat is going to get that bite. Mm-hmm. And I think some anglers have proven that here as of lately, and and um, and really over the last decade since since swim baits have gotten bigger and bigger and bigger, but. Yeah, at the same, you know, more popular, not big. Well, they've gotten bigger and smaller and everything. Right, right. But at, at the same time, it's it's a fish eat fish, fish eat fish. And when you just get that through your head, and if you're a tournament fisherman or just a fun big fish fisherman, if you're a big fish fisherman, it makes total sense. But even now, if you're just a five-bite angler, you're looking for six bites, land five of them, and you're going to be good. And I think anyone who's thrown them knows you'll still catch a two pounder and a three pounder here or there on them. But, you know, right. I, I think it's mainly a largemouth thing. Small mouths have a tendency to run into the side of them. I don't know much about spots. Um, largemouth have a ten- or smallies have a tendency to more T bone something and then go, oh, that didn't feel right yeah. and pull out of there. But, right. Yeah. I mean, like you mentioned, an insanely, insanely good search bait, and especially from like a practice standpoint of like if you don't want to go catch them, but you want to see them, glide bait's a great, like great way, especially with the cl- the clarity for those fish no to come say hello to you versus you try to find them. But would you? So th- there's there's a few people now like in the ish- industry now, like your Butch Browns, I'd argue, and and I don't want to offend any of my hardcore swim baiters with my lack of intense knowledge of the swim bait side of things. But like for my eyes, you have your Butch Browns, your, you know, Ben Milliken, I'd argue is a really, really good swim baiter. Uh, would you argue that the big glide bait slash, slash swim bait 
trend is probably the most untapped from a knowledge side of like the the fishing when it comes to baits right now than anything else. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe. I, think, I feel like you see a lot of guys have them and they buy them and there's some guys that throw them, but there's not guys like a Ben Milliken or Butch Brown that know the small nuances that can go out with five rods on deck. They're all swim baits and put together limits and have confidence in those limits where other guys are like, I'm going to go throw this 10 times today. Yeah. I get a big bite on it where there's not. I mean, many- that's what it is, right? Like if I, I put one on my deck, it looks cool. It makes me feel like I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing, but <laughs> swinging. I, in most cases I pitch it around 10 times and then I'm back to doing what's, what's always worked for me. The, the only thing is, is, is yes, you can. You, you, no doubt about it. No doubt about it. Mm-hmm. I just haven't seen people win tournaments doing it. Right. Relative, you know, in and out. I've seen people win a tournament doing it, um, especially in California, stuff like that. Are, I think we're waiting. And we've, and I've seen some swim bait fishermen step into the ranks of tournament bass fishermen or bass fishing. And yeah, they, they might get big fish honors or they catch a couple, but they weigh in a couple. Um, so. Right. For me, it's all about tournament fishing right now with where I'm at in my life. Um, it, it's, it's, a, it's a bait that'll get you bit. It's a bait that'll catch you PBs. It'll definitely show you some stuff, especially now with forward sonar too. It, it opens up, a, all it does is open up a whole nother world for that. Now you can target specific fish and get it. And that's where I'm starting to get kind of giddy about it because I've seen where I can throw a Cinco at that fish. I can throw a jerk bait at that fish. I can throw so much stuff in my arsenal and it doesn't not give me the time of day. I start thinking it's a carp or something that's just like not a predator. And then I throw a glide bait at it and it completely reacts. Whether I get the bite or not, it completely reacts. So it's opening my eye. I think there's some big days coming ahead. Like you were saying in that, but we just haven't truly – I mean, t- tell me. Tell me the, the tournament where a glide bait has, has won $100,000. Right. That's I what mean, I was going to ask there's you. Some, there's winning. some, but it's just not often. Right. That's what Shatter I was going to ask you. bait has made way more money than a, than a glide bait has. Yeah. Chatterbait, Senko, Chig. Yeah, 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 it's yeah. kind of hard to, oh, to beat. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. a failsafe. Yeah. Uh, have you heard of a turn a multi-day tournament being won exclusively on a glide bait or big no. swim bait? No. I think Carl was the closest that I've ever heard of. I mean, maybe in California or somewhere or some or some other western lake. But no, right. I haven't heard of a multi-day tournament that's ever been won on a glide bait. Yeah. I feel like that's a Ken Duke question, Andy. I feel like we need to tap into his or maybe a Terry Batisti because he's more in top with the uh I don't know. It's Either way, it's, that's, that'd be a cool one to figure out. And if not, like like you said, Josh, I feel like it's, I feel like it's coming. It is coming. It is definitely coming. But I just, I, I just, and I'm sure it's happened to some level, but nothing that I can think of off the top of my head. Like I, I don't said, believe that was a glide beta. I believe it was a line through. Where at Clear Lake, Steve Kennedy. Yeah, um, that's what I'm saying. And and uh, Byron Velvet did it too right after, you know, not too long after that I've seen where soft paddle tails and stuff like that and soft swim baits have done it, but I have not ever seen where a glide bait 
has won multi-day tournaments. I, I, in my, in my knowledge, and definitely I could be wrong, but I do stay pretty tapped in. Right. I think Carl was the closest to do it. And I think he had the fish on to do it. Yeah. I think it was literally, I mean, you watch this channel. Yeah. It can definitely be done. And in the Tennessee river, any, any impoundment on Tennessee river. I mean, anyone who's fished there and, and has had success knows that the big fish key in on gizzard shads when you're, Mm-hmm. keen in on a fish that big you know same as out west when they're on trout and stuff like that mm-hmm. that's what they want that's what they're going to eat yeah that's a really good point well dude i feel like we could have a whole part two of this of like following fish in the spring like a little bit post-spawn like if you're just going to backtrack we'll have to get you on another show here uh as we start getting into our, our post-spawn months and uh talk more about following fish throughout that time because your people talk about post spawn, how those fish never leave those summer holes when you show up one day and it's a damn ghost town, but then you go back and they're there again. It's either way, we'd love to get you back on and talk more about that as we get into later throughout the spring. Uh, but uh, you know, rest of the season, what can people kind of look forward beyond just the elite series? Uh, looking forward for you. Yeah, I mean, um, no, all, all the same, all the same. You know, follow me on all my social stuff at Josh Douglas Fishing. Obviously, yeah, we got a big schedule here in the elites coming up. We're about to have three tournaments in four weeks, so I'm looking forward to that. Uh, a lot of guiding out on my lack still. It's every year I say I'm not going to do it, then I fill my schedule doing it. I truly do love to do it. At the end of the day, I got a uh, real awesome clientele, and yeah, uh, as far as the content goes, at my pages, you know, we're going to have uh, we got a lot of content going. I'm working with uh, a camera guy here pretty soon someone's going to help follow around and do some of these elite events and stuff like that and try to get something try to get my uh, life in the bass lane up and running um and, and going strong there so it, all the same stuff um just hoping we're holding up big bass up on the stage that's that's my jam that's what i want to be doing that's at least what i want to be doing you know <laughs> yeah it's it's gonna happen uh but dude uh for for folks his socials are in the uh, show description, whether you're listening or watching YouTube. Um, it's down there for you guys to click, follow along if you're not ready. Um, is that what the series is going to be called, Life in the Bass Lane? Or do you yeah, just, I've done do a pilot. Yeah, I've done, I did a pilot like a year ago with Bree, uh, who's my wife. She does all most of all my videos and photography. Wizard. Yeah, she's great. She's an awesome asset to have and, and, a, and an awesome wife and supporter. But at the same time, you know, that was like a pilot that we used to do it. Uh, I need somebody that's as dumb as me that wants to go out there when it's sleeting sideways and we're in four foot waves bouncing around. And that's not breeze jam, dude. She, she wants to be <laughs> blank, a blanket on the boat. You know what I mean? That ain't going to work when, when we're in, in tournament mode. So yeah. we did that, you know, she's awesome for, for so much. My what's on my deck series. A lot of people like that YouTube series where I'm mm-hmm. legitimately pulling out stuff from my rod locker and showing them everything damn near to the bobber stop of what I'm using, um, on that series. So, you know, she's, she's going to be awesome with that and do taking care of all the sponsor stuff and, and educational stuff. That's always going to be a big part of my game. That's something I sell at. It's something when the tournament trail is over for me, where I really want to push and excel is just teach people how to be better bass fishermen. I, I feel like I have a knack for doing that, teaching that, and that's where that come in. But as far as like that, get out in them four or five footers and bounce around for a stupid <laughs> fish. Uh, I got a guy, I think that is, uh, he's probably a small mouth guy, isn't he? 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's from up here, and yeah, he's 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 like I said, he's he's sick for it, like I am, and uh, looks up to a lot of them guys that are behind the camera and all that kind of stuff. So it, it should be pretty good here. That'll come kind of later in the summertime and into next year. So heck we're yeah, pretty excited about awesome. it, dude. I love that guys are doing this. Um, like I've seen Luke Palmer get into this year. Carl's getting into it heavier yep. this year. You see, uh, you know, Drew Cook and Drew Benton. They've done theirs for a couple of years, but they've been really honing that craft with who they have filming and editing for them. You see a bunch of guys starting to do this now. I know, uh, and there's more in the works like like yours that you're just mentioning. And I love this because, one, I think it's great for you guys as anglers because it exposes one more, another territory for you guys to market yourselves. But two, I think it's good for you and it's good for the sport because this – I feel like this YouTube series, pending what you're willing to put out there, shows your true colors, and fishing as a sport needs that because it shows, hey, it's not just some dumb dude from Alabama with an act with a southern draw that just fishes. Like it's, yeah. it shows your character. It shows a little bit of like how unique all you guys are, uh, and it can. I think the YouTube side, especially, it's 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 completely different than an Instagram and stuff where it's a it's a all you see is a picture or a reel and someone he doesn't. You can't really depict their character. Well, YouTube, you can really bring that out a little bit more. And really, yep. for you anglers, like it helps you guys from a non-endemic standpoint, which is usually where the dollars are at. Yeah, yeah. huge. And it just it shows who you really are, you know. And that's I, I want to be. I don't want to just be a one-trick pony. You know, you you have you have the cinematic angling stuff, and then you got the educational stuff. And I would love to be a hybrid of both. Um, you know, when it comes to, like I said, when it comes to the tournament trail, I can't have my, you know, I can't have Bree saying she's got to go pee. You know what I mean? Like, I don't have Sorry, hang off the back. And she gets, and I, and all, and all, and she gets you know, seasickness in a, in a foot and a half wave. You know what I mean? She's about done for the day. So, uh, no, I got Logan. He, he's, you know, kind of helped, came through like some of the Shields guys and stuff like that that I've gotten to know doing seminars. And they're like, Dude, he's, you know, I think he's like 21, just got done with college. He's pretty perfect. Prime Chat, time. Chatted it up. I think we're going to start out, out east in New York and stuff and and uh, and then have something concrete for next year to to really to really roll through and all that. So it, it, it's good, though. It's good. You got to have – I think you got to have a little bit of both, right? The, the cinematic stuff is really cool and, and showing the tournament stuff and what we go through as anglers in the tournament and competing. And then at the same time though, you got, you got to teach because that's, that's why we have jobs. We don't have jobs because we're really good fishermen. We have jobs because we can sell product and to truly be able to sell product and be able to be a longstanding person that can sell product. You have to be true to what you do and you have to teach people why they want to use that uh, out there. So hopefully we kind of bring the whole thing together and, and have a, have a good thing going but yeah. a lot of fishing a lot of bassing and finally the snow is going away so i feel like i'm just coming out of hibernation dudes i'm <laughs> rock and roll. You're loving it yeah heck yeah dude uh and, and to that point really fast i think that's why you're doing so well for yourself is because you understand that now where it's not the same fishing industry as it was where i feel yeah. like you you've experienced both sides you kind of like and you've seen the transition of it where fishing now it's business first catching fish second where it used to be if you could catch a fish you get a free boat you get a free truck you know that kind of thing yeah which are still stuck in that mindset where it took a lot of tournament guys turn them into getting better at the business side 
where like you already had the business stuff dialed for when you made the elites. It was, yeah, it was that helps. Perfect. So I, I mean, I, that helps. I, I was on the the FLW since seventeen. I mean, that, that kind of stuff's pretty turnkey, and that and that's what I looked at. You know, I got and it, it was in seventeen. I think that I missed the elites by one spot. But I looked and I got sick of seeing. I mean, it was FLW tour angler after FLW tour angler after. I mean, Drew Bent, you name them, dude. They yeah. came through the FLW ranks and they and they they became solid elite series anglers immediately. Mm-hmm. And I just think a lot of that is one. Of course, they had tournament experience and lots of it, four day tournament experience, lots of it. But still, they they had the finances and stuff like that to just turn into the elites. You don't want to show up against Seth fighter and Brandon Polinick and Jason Christie and the Johnston brothers with limited funds in your checking account to, you know, you, you need to, if you think there's fish over there, you need to be able to go there. And if you think this $25 jerk bait is going to cash you a check, you need that $25 jerk bait. You know, you can't be worried about finances and stuff like that and expect to fish against these dudes that are just, tremendous natural talent and really really good so that that was definitely helpful the business side is super important to bass fishing but uh you know obviously so is catching them yeah for sure well dude with that uh it's a great segue because we're gonna let you let you go here with our final question of the night uh is if you had to pick one elite series guy to choose as your partner for a team tournament who would you pick Oh, wow. That's a, and you should have almost sent me that like yesterday. So I kind of thought of <laughs> So we like to put our guests in the spot. So, like, so, that. so there's different ways to look at that. You could look at it like you're looking for somebody that's polar opposite than you. You could look at it. That's, you know, fishing wise, you could look at it as somebody that does what you do so that you double Excel, or you could just look at it as somebody that you get along with really well. Cause Mojo is super important in team tournaments that right. you've got have a good deal going on in the boat um well it's the easy answer probably gussie because uh the champ <laughs> well yeah he's the he's classic the cash champ. he'll pay for breakfast <laughs> yeah that, that's where i'm going with it you know what i mean like he'll buy a round of beers and probably cover the hotel but no <laughs> truly truly for me like gussie was the the best classic champion that i've known the best of best best master class of champions if, if you would mm-hmm. uh we couldn't have a better one right now he's literally one of the nicest most sincere people in the world and uh and he's got a strong strong skill set obviously to be an angler so i would think that uh gussie would be a pretty that's a really tough question to it i don't know now i'm starting to look into like a whole lot of things like where i'm not that good that'd be nice to have that person it's a tough question but i'm going to finish off with gussie just to wrap it up We'll go Gussie. He's a classic champ, dude. Who else right. would you want? <laughs> yes, it's fact. fact. Yeah, Who else would you want? Yeah. We'll have to pitch that off to Mercer to put you guys in the spot, like launch days and stuff, have you in front of everybody. Pick pick who you'd be <laughs> team yeah, tournament partners with. <laughs> but uh, I can probably tell you who I'm not, don't want to be. Oh, I'll help <laughs> my tell you who I would want to be, but still. We, we wouldn't we'll want to put you in that spot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We'll save that for uh offline beer sesh, is what we'll do. That's right. Uh but Perfect. dude, really fast. Now that you brought up Gussie, did you see? Because I know you keep in tabs with hockey. You're a hockey guy. Did you see oh, yeah. Winnipeg Jets uh, put him on the built the jumbotron and everything? Oh, I did not. When did that happen? 
I'll have to, I'll have to send three you. or four days ago, I think. Really? Right? Yeah. That's yeah. freaking badass, dude. That's that's actually that's like right up there with some of the best of the. That's cool. I saw it on Twitter and no one else was like talking about it at all, and I'm like, well, I'm a hockey nut, so I gotta share this. So I, so I put I reposted it on all of our channels. It was super cool. They like put him on like you like the celebrity at on, at the yeah. arena type of deal. It was super cool. Had him like holding fish on the jumbotron in this arena i'll have to send it to you it's super cool but i think uh i, I imagine because he's buddies with the buff so yeah oh yeah yeah, yeah. Had, had some hand in buff around this neck of the woods for sure dude he's a a peach if there ever ever was an individual but yeah i mean we go or even if he didn't dude i mean he represents all of canada yeah first non-american to win the Bassmaster classic i mean how how freaking cool for so many levels. I, I, again, it's, it's like Jay last year winning rookie making beating Corey Johnston on his own pond and you know, a hundred, hundred pounds of smallmouth. Like I don't even have the capabilities to dream that big. You know what I mean? Like, like I've <laughs> dreamed about big things in bass fishing my whole life. And to see what some of these dudes are accomplishing, like imagine being Gussie and being the first Canadian to to do that it's just so freaking cool it's got to be kind of hard thing to wrap your head around but yeah it was pretty wild uh almost as wild as seeing dustin bufflin in person just being like hi like <laughs> he was oh, at yeah. the champions toast uh like celebrating and i saw him there and i kind of did double take because i was like one you're in the massive, room with all man. these like all these legends like kevin van damps to your left so you're fanboying from a fishing yeah. standpoint and you see bufflin and your hockey kids so you're fanboying because it's dustin yeah. bufflin and you're like yeah, it's like everything right yeah. yeah yeah you've yeah. got a jaw that looks like you could hit it as hard as you freaking want and you're he'll smile at you you know that <laughs> yeah like, just looks yep. tougher than hell well he is i've seen him i, I mean i've watched him my whole life you know with chicago and went with every you know yeah you almost want to ask him to hip check you just so you could say it. You've been hip checked by the big buff. <laughs> I don't yeah. know if you want that. You I've, never been hip, I've never been hip checked. He's definitely bought me a whiskey or two in my day. But there you never, go. <laughs> I, I'd rather go that than get hip checked. And I played hockey my whole life, but it, that's kind of why I went the fishing route right out of high school. Like I kind of started looking at those dudes and being like, yeah, no, not that's no, not thanks. my game. I'm, like, <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm just gonna go on the bass boat, you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's right. Well, dude, uh, always a pleasure. Always good thanks, to uh, to get you on here. It was good seeing you at the classic. We're gonna have to do this more. And uh, dude, uh, good luck at Murray. We'll be uh, we'll be rooting for you. Thank you. Appreciate it, guys. Have a I'm good awesome. one. Talk thanks to you. I, I seriously do. I I think I forgot to tell you about that buff was there at the champions toast yeah we haven't talked much though we've both been so dang busy so it's that's crazy though yeah it, it was pretty cool but uh huge shout out uh and thank you to josh douglas again for for joining us here always good to get him on the show talking some spring bassin uh talking about finding fish from uh and it was definitely more predominantly smallmouth talk uh, but we we actually did do a very dominant largemouth talk with this exact same train of thought with Keith Carson. Uh, you guys can go back a few episodes and see that one. We can also put it down the link uh, in the description if you guys would like, but uh, dude, that was, that was a really good show. Um, especially digging into the small nuances of like when you're going up, you you can get so excited that you start mm-hmm. seeing fish up dirt shallow. You're looking at them visually. They're starting to spawn, but realize like, especially if you're a tournament guy or you're just chasing bigger fish, 
they might be enticing and it's fun. It's like eye candy up there. Your bigger fish might be more pulled off still, not where you can see them and you got to work at them a little bit different. It's kind of a good train of thought. What do you think? I agree. Yeah. Well, uh, well, dude, uh, moving forward, it's going to be an interesting few weeks here at Serious Angler. Some things are going to shake up for a little bit, but uh, nonetheless, we're going to have shows. Uh, we will tomorrow or sorry, not tomorrow. Friday's episode uh, is actually going to be with uh, Justin Largen, who is uh, of the kayak folk. He's going to come on the show and we're going to chat a little fishing. Yeah, that'll be Friday's episode. And then uh, Monday, Lake Murray Fantasy Fishing. Fantasy Fishing is going to be back. Really looking forward to that. Uh, I think we're going to be Andy-less, and he's going to be out for a little bit for maybe a week or so. So it's maybe a week over without our captain to, to lead us through uh through these shows but uh we should be should be all set for next week uh as well as we'll have uh matt becker and steve estes from uh bass fishing electronics joining us next tuesday night live uh and talking about forward facing sonar hacks trends uh and then simple just bass fishing talk with a champlain hammer and becker just being a damn hammer Hammer. everywhere yeah (laughs) just a hammer everywhere but uh yeah Always, always a good time. Great show tonight. Andy, any takeaways? No, I think it was cool. Like, just listen to Josh talk about, like, where to target pre-spawn fish. Because it's not something that I get to do all too often. Just because smallmouth, they basically live for me in the same, like, five miles of Lake Erie every year. So I always like to hear what people are doing on inland type of bodies of water and vertical breaks. Because, like... You and I both know, like, we have some vertical breaks on our lakes, but a lot of them are flat, too. So Mm -hmm. it's a little bit more difficult to really pinpoint where these fish might be. But upon talking to that, like, look, like, thinking in my brain and trying to wrap around some of the lakes we have here, I'm like, huh, maybe there's stuff that I've been overlooking that I need to go check. So that's what I'm looking forward to doing next when I have a few moments of free time here in the next 30 days or so it's going to be um it's going to be an interesting time yeah i'm so excited (laughs) i know i'm going to spend the weekend out fishing uh enjoying prime time uh dropping some videos on the be the fish channel uh i know you dropped something today i've yet to actually go look at it uh it's just a full fishing channel just a little weekly report deal that we talked about. That's all it is. It's like three minutes oh, cool. of me rambling. So, yeah, good little stuff. So, yeah, if you want all the Lake Erie waypoints, go watch Andy's video he dropped on Full of Fishing. All of them are there. <laughs> yes, all of them. <laughs> yes, just three minutes of waypoints. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah, dude, next next Friday is the first NYKBF, our local New York Kayak Trail, uh, as tournament of the year. The, uh, the charity tournament this year is going to be on Canisius, which is going to be pretty cool. It's a change of the last two years was on Honeyoy. As much as I talk about how I don't like the place, it was good to me the past two charity tournaments on Honeyoy and trying to keep a trying to go three peat for the charity derbs for NYKBF. But it should, regardless of it, should be fun because it's for uh, suicide awareness, you know, suicide prevention. Uh, there's a great family out in the Seneca Falls area that uh, we do it for, and all the proceeds go to them. So, uh, looking forward to having uh, a great event. Hopefully, you know, knock on wood after two horrible, 
horrible events to start off the year. Yeah, you got to get back on path, buddy. Yes, yes, thank you. I've told myself that in the mirror every single morning. Um, yes. Uh, <laughs> Just the morning and not like every time you go to the bathroom. Like, snap out of it. <laughs> yes, no, that's just more of me telling myself, you are stupid. It's all a lie. No, just kidding. Jeez. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah. Took a morbid Are you sure you don't need a hotline number to call to? No. Good Lord. No, <laughs> we don't need that dark of a turn. I was, I was kidding, Andrew. Come on. <laughs> Uh, I'm just yes, yeah, so no, good. but really, no, I've sucked. I got uh, so there'll be videos coming on the Be the Fish channel if you guys want to watch somebody drop 25 pounds of bass and not catch an absolute single one of them. Um, that was my Santee Cooper event. Don't know what the heck happened there, but uh, all I know is I understand, you know, they say hindsight is 2020, and I'm looking forward to hopefully having a Santee Cooper back on the tournament schedule for the next coming years so that I can get back down there for some revenge. Um, but regardless. Basically, I need to have really good rest of the season from a Hobie standpoint to try to get into TOC. Uh, I might be able to slither in with that 60-second finish on Harris Chain, which is not good. But there, you know, I think I think the rest of my events are top 30s. I might be able to get in on AOI points. But uh, thankfully for me, uh, as long as I don't choke, you know, knock on wood, they're coming to the home pond. Cayuga here in about two months or so. Yeah, it's about two months. So that should set up well for me, hopefully, and that we can maybe try to get in uh, if we're lucky on a top three, which could be a guarantee. But it it just it feels it feels snakeish getting in to a championship event off a top three performance when you sucked the rest of the year. If that makes any sense, you know what I mean? It kind of feels weird. It feels like, weird, but we're like gonna the try best to... opens, right? Like if you fish the way it used to be if you fished three of them and you zeroed in two but you won one you still got into the classic you just had to fish three yeah. so yeah i think so to, to talk about it a little bit i think i made a big mistake at santee cooper in regards to two two different facets looking at it so we had our day one canceled so it turned into a one day shootout which the way i looked at it i'm like okay one day tournament i'm going to go hero or zero because if it works out, chances are I could try to get a good chance of winning this thing. Or there was like playing it safe and go and catching, you know, 85 to 90 inches. And I kind of thought, man, Santee Cooper, fish are spawning. These, you know, it's prime time. Like, I feel like playing it safe for 85, 90 inches isn't going to do anything here. But I should have looked at, hey, grand scheme of things, dummy, 85, 90 inches is going to go great for your AOI points for the rest of the year where. We heroed and zeroed, and we ended up zeroing. Well, we didn't zero. We had two small fish. But uh, regardless, I had the hero on the line to get potentially a top 10 finish and dumped every single one of them, hmm. which is weird, dude. I, I don't get it. So think I'm trying to see if there's a variable I'm missing here. So second cast of the day, I, I lose like a 17, 18-incher. Had it hooked, like uh, I'm basically fishing for spawners that I can't see. If that kind of gives you help lay the land, fish pitching reeds, uh, and and lay downs and you know bushes. And second cast, flip into a reed clump, feel the bite. Literally gave it a second, lean in, and of course I have to set. It was b- bad boat positioning, set across. So I'm like I'm holding my route the left handed. I have to set this way, right? Mm. 
fight it all the way to the boat, digs down deep, comes up, jumps, throws the worm. I was like, damn, like, at least I know, I thought from then, like, I have 15 waypoints back in this pocket. The first one I hit, the fish is there, even though it's been three days. Go to the next one, not there. Go to the next one, not there. Go to the, like, a couple more waypoints down, flip in there. Bites, start swimming out with it. I had to race to catch it, try to set the hook. Comes back, half the worm left, which a lot of people know it's not a certainty, but fish that will bite and run to deep water typically are bigger fish. Yeah. Uh, and so that happened twice, twice in a row. And there was one dude where it bit and it was slowly moving towards water. And I, I reeled, 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 got my line tight, gave it a couple seconds, kept it taut, then hit it, felt tension for a second, comes a worm or the hook pops out. Didn't make any sense. And I'm going around. I ended up losing two more fish. Same deal. Like spit half the worm out and go around. I end up fishing different reed patch. I flip into there. Nothing. I'm burning the worm back. And I'm like a 16, 17 incher comes up, blows up on the worm as I'm burning it back. I flip back at it and I'm just shaking it in place. The fish eats it, set the hook. Half the worm comes back. I'm like, I can't catch a break. And so I leave. And I go and I'm fishing. I go to a different spot. I take out, relaunch, and there's just boats everywhere, of course. But I had stuff that was not around these boats so I can go fish and not be, you know, surrounded. Because there was a 200-boat tournament out that day that changed to Sunday. And there was also another local kayak tournament that had – there's probably 250 kayaks out there as well on that day. And – my spawner, a couple of my spawners that are like the bigger ones that I had on bed were gone, whether caught or they disappeared. Uh, but there was a bunch of fry garters that I had had that catch caught one. It was like a 16. There was one that was about 20, 21 that I couldn't get to eat for whatever. It was hanging like right, right under the bait ball. And literally, dude, I took a fluke and it was like what it dragged across its forehead and it wouldn't eat it. So it didn't make any sense. Like either they wouldn't eat or whatever. Had another one that was 20 that uh, ate and bait, set the hook, brand new, like retied and everything, broke Line me bit. off. It was like a five pounder. And then there was another four pound fry garter that I see, like, hey, there's a little, you know, at the corner of my eye, I think it's a carp that's swimming. It's at least seven pounds. It was a female that was basically cruising, pitched the wacky rig in front of her, twitch it one time. She eats it. She eats it. Like half the worm, you could still see my hook sticking out in front of her mouth. She turns to go away. And that's when I start reeling into her. Wacky Ray comes flying back at me, and I just watch her skirt, like get scared and skirts under the kayak. And I'm sitting there, I'm like, this is not my day. So, yeah, that's kind of a great uh, synopsis. I don't know what to attribute it to. Like, I, I changed hooks probably five, six times that day. I, I don't think it was the hooks. I think they were literally just grabbing half of your worm. The only thing I could have told you. Or thought to do myself is maybe downsize to something a little bit smaller or go up a size and hook to try it was a, and it was a five inch Senko. Yeah. Go down to a four next time. Should I throw a Ned rig? <laughs> you could have. Like I don't That's one thing I think of. Like I don't know, maybe just throw the fluke. I think they caught one frag guard on a fluke, but then other ones wouldn't I mean it's yeah, I don't know. It was a lot of shoulda coulda woulda, right? But yeah, either yeah, way. It is what it is. Yeah. 
either way, it's it's definitely a not the start I want I would have wanted, but hopefully we can have a good local season this year. And uh, looking forward to starting that off next Friday. Looking forward to just getting out fishing here in New York uh, this weekend here. But yeah, Andy, great show uh, for folks that missed the introduction. There are uh, a 25% off sale going on at do it molds for different crank, uh, crankbait blanks and such that's going on till the 16th. You guys can go take advantage, uh, advantage of it's down link in the description as well as this is, uh, there's going to be some good Omnia fishing sales. There's 25% off bait fuel. I think yesterday, uh, as well as there's, they're always running some pretty gnarly good sales, uh, at Omnia fishing. You can use our code to save yourself some money, but, uh, Andy, Anything else? Anything coming up that the the folks should know? Any trips? Anything like that? So, uh, Lure Lab episode for this Saturday will be a good one. We uh, got the classic champ on, so we'll be talking a little moping with Gussie Saturday morning. Um, guide trips will probably start thinking about opening up the weekend of April 28th. I haven't decided yet, but I had a rescheduling for the middle of May, so May I posted on my story last night, I think May 15th, 16th, and 17th. So those are the only three days that I have available in May right now. And then June is fully booked. And then we're booking stuff out for July, August, September, and October. But October is starting to get pretty close to being booked up too. So it's going to be a good season as long as we can make it through weather-wise. Heck yeah. The boat is out. It is prime time. Hopefully, you and I can actually go fishing more this year versus yeah, we'll the see. twice last year. Hey, uh, two times. No, we went three times because we fished that little reservoir that was surprising. We caught eerie. really big fish that day. Eerie, yeah. and then we won that one tournament we fished together. Yeah. That Heck was yeah. literally bumper boats on that tiny lake. That was fun. Yes. Bumper <laughs> boats besides us. Yeah. <laughs> that was Which fun. was awesome. But yeah. Heck yeah. Well, folks, we appreciate you guys tuning in. Uh, again, Friday's episode is going to be with Justin Largen. Uh, it's going to be a great episode. Hope to see y'all there. So we'll see you on the next one. <laughs>